Well, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 8, our sermon text this morning is Romans 8, 1. We're going to read the first four verses just so we have some context for it, but uh, Romans 8, 1 is our text, and I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to do so. Give ear to the reading of the Word of God, Romans 8, 1, Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's let's uh, pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you have uh, given us all things that we need for life and godliness through the precious promises of your word. We thank you for giving it to us as a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. And we ask that you would teach us this morning, that you would uh, work in us by your Holy Spirit, that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, the other day, uh, Eliza asked me what my favorite chapter of the Bible was, and I wasn't expecting that question, but she asked me, and I thought about it for a minute, and I told her it was Romans chapter 8. And she asked me, why? why? Every kid asks the same, why? Why this? Why, why chapter 8? And so I, I kind of cheated and said, well, read it for yourself and see. Uh, and I would say the same to everybody else if you wonder why that would be. Uh, the book of Romans is considered by many Christians uh, to be the most important book of the Bible. If there is such a thing as a most important book, it's all, all of Scripture is the Word of God. It's all given by inspiration of God, and so it's all important. Uh, every last verse, every last word God has given. Uh, but not only is Romans considered the greatest book of the Bible by many, but uh, Romans chapter 8 in particular is thought by many to be the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. Now, what, what is it that makes Romans so important and what makes Romans chapter 8 so great? Uh, it's because it's in the book of Romans that you find the Apostle Paul, uh, what he's doing there in, in the book of Romans, he's giving us his great exposition or explanation of the gospel. He's, he's giving it 16 chapters long. It's 16 chapters, so to speak. Paul didn't write in chapters, but giving us his explanation of the gospel, of what God has done to save sinners by sending his son, how he draws us to faith in Christ for salvation. And even in the last uh, four chapters tells us how God would have us to live in light of his mercies in Jesus Christ. If you if you want to understand the gospel thoroughly, which I hope that you do, uh, you, could, you could find uh, no better place to look in scripture. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better place in the Bible to start than with the book of Romans. Romans is the most thorough explanation of the gospel, I believe, in all of Scripture. And so Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel of Christ is another way of saying how God saves sinners. How God saves sinners. There's no more important message in all of the world than than that. You think about the things that people are concerned about, important things. If if someone were to say, we're, we're able to write a book, that gave the answer to world peace. 
We would rightly celebrate that book. Everybody would buy that book. You would spend money and time trying to get that book in people's hands. Uh, if someone were to write a book uh, or a message uh, that would give the cure to cancer, we would all be very happy about that. We would, we would celebrate that book. We would buy that book. We would send that book to other people. We would spend money and time seeing that that book was uh, circulated and spread far uh, and wide. But as great as those things are, and they would be great, they, they would not begin to hold a candle to the Bible in general or to the book of Romans in particular, or even to Romans chapter 8, which we do have with us. And why is that? It's because it's the gospel that provides the answer to man's greatest need. There is a, a problem, uh, a need that every person has that's greater than world peace, it's greater than the cure for cancer, greater than the cure for COVID, greater than any election coming up or any such thing. And that's the gospel, as, as great as having world peace would be, it pales in comparison with man's need for peace with God. If you had world peace and there was no more bloodshed and violence, but men were not reconciled to God, it would still be hell on earth. Life would still not be worth living. As great as having a cure for cancer would be, and it would be great, and maybe one day we will see that. Uh, all of mankind still will die one day and stand before their maker at the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes what? The judgment, it is, it is coming. What every sinner needs the most is a divine cure or remedy for condemnation for our sins. That's what we need more than anything else in this world. And the great theme of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, he calls it the gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the great theme of Romans chapter 8. Uh, as well, the great theme of Romans 8 is the security of the salvation of every believer. That if you're in, if you're in Christ by faith, you will never lose your salvation. You will never be separated from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. And that wonderful theme in chapter 8 is summarized for us in that first verse. If you want to understand Romans 8, just read verse 1. Read the rest of it. But verse 1 is the one that, where it's summarized, and that's where Paul says, in our text this morning, there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. James Boyce writes this, This sentence is the theme of the chapter. Everything else flows from it. The rest of the chapter, chapter 8, is basically an exposition of this one idea. But verse 1 is not only the theme of Romans 8, it is the theme of the entire word of God which is only another way of saying that it is the gospel. Indeed, it is the gospel's very heart. It's the point of the gospel is having no condemnation before a holy God as a sinner. Well, the first thing I'd like to look at this morning is the context uh, of, of this declaration of, of no condemnation. And that context is found or pointed to in, the ver in that word in verse 1 where Paul says, Therefore, Paul says, therefore, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul say it that way? What's the therefore, so to speak, therefore? What he's doing is he's pointing us back to what he said previously. He's pointing us back. Everything he said before builds up to this point. Everything he said prior to that 
is what leads him to his declaration in this great gospel verse in verse 1. He's telling us why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When he says, therefore, he's pointing back to everything he said previously. And not just to the verses in in chapter 7 right before this passage, although he is pointing back to that. What Paul was really doing here is he's pointing us back to everything he said about the gospel in the first seven chapters. He's, he's expecting us, rightly so, to, to read through the whole book. And when you get to that point, he's summarizing the, the importance and the message of what that means, of everything that he, he says pri- previously about the gospel. It all is summed up in saying that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, uh, that being said, we obviously can't go through the entire book of Romans in one in one sermon. I won't try to do that. We could probably spend years going through that book in a sermon uh, sermon series. Lord willing, we may do that at some later point. But what I'd like you to do this morning is look at two things. One, the broad context of Paul's statement in verse 1, and then a more narrow look at the context uh, looking at chapter 7. So what we're going to do is, uh, Lord willing, is briefly outline the book of Romans, in a sense, so that we might have a clear understanding of Paul's flow of thought the flow of his argument about the gospel. In some ways, you know, the most simple way to outline the book of Romans, uh, it's not dividing it in half, but it's to divide it in two parts. And that is uh, Romans 1 through 11, those first 11 chapters where Paul explains in great detail the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and why we can never be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 12 through 16, what Paul does in the last four chapters of the book it shows us, because of God's mercies to us in Christ, here's how he would have you live to show your gratitude for the great salvation he's given us in Jesus Christ. That's the, the simplest way of outlining the book. You could say in, in, a, in a general way that the first 11 chapters of Romans, in there Paul presents us with the great doctrines of grace that are found in the gospel. And then in chapter 12 through 16, he describes or tells to us the duties that God has given us that flow uh, from the mercies and grace in Jesus Christ. So doctrine, in a general sense, the doctrines of, the, of grace of God's gospel in the first 11 chapters, and then duty, what God would have us to do in response in chapters 12 through 16. That's Chapter 12 is where the whole book kind of hinges. And if you look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul spells it out for us. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, there's that word again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in other words, everything I said before leads up to this, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul doesn't put the cart before the horse. He doesn't say, change your life, get straightened up, clean yourself up, and then come to Christ. He says, come to Christ by faith, repent of your sin. Jesus will clean you up and sanctify you and make you born again. And then, in the light of God's mercies in Christ, then present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's in light of the mercies of God in Jesus Christ 
which Paul teaches at length in those first 11 chapters. Uh, It's in light of that, out of sheer gratitude for God's grace and mercy in Christ, that we are to then offer up our bodies to God as a living sacrifice and to seek to live a holy life that's acceptable to God. You know, many many people, maybe most people in this world that think of, of their souls at all, reverse this order. They reverse this order, which turns the gospel on its head. It makes the gospel of no effect. They, you know, they, they try to live a life pleasing to God in order to be accepted by God. And that is not the way that the Bible teaches. We do not try to live a life pleasing to God in order to be reconciled to God. And that is to try to be saved by our own works, and that is not possible. Paul says in Romans 3.20, he says, For by the works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. Why? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. No one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law. Because what the law does is show us our sin. It wasn't given to us to make us right with God. It was given to us to reveal to us that we aren't on our own right with God. No one will be justified in God's sight by works because the law shows us our sin. I said before, the law acts like a mirror. We might, you know, if you didn't have any mirrors at home, I might be a little happier, but I might look a little bit sloppier. You know, the mirror shows you what you actually look like, not what you think you look like. And so the mirror, the law of God, shows us what we really are. It shows us the true nature and extent of our guilt uh, before a holy God because of our sin. It shows us, not just to make you feel bad, it shows us our need for Christ our need for the Savior. That's one of the main purposes of God's law. It's how That is how the law works side by side and hand in hand with the gospel. It shows us our need for Christ, our need for salvation. Now Paul spends in Romans about most of the first three chapters, Romans 1 through 3, teaching us and showing us our need for salvation, showing us the universal need for salvation of all mankind. That everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, is not right with God and needs the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans three twenty-three to twenty-four, Paul says that all have sinned, all, without exception, except Jesus Christ. All have sinned, and because of that, what happens? And fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So all have sinned. He says elsewhere, none is righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. And so what is, what is he saying? What's, this, what's the, uh, the, the, the summary of that statement? Is that outside of Jesus Christ, we all stand condemned before a holy God. Outside of Christ, everyone is condemned for our sin. Romans chapter 4, he teaches us the only way for a sinner to be justified in the sight of God is by faith alone, in Christ alone. And he uses Abraham as an example. Romans 4, 3, he says, Abraham did what? Believed God, and it was counted to him or reckoned to him as righteousness. Righteousness is what we need, but we don't have. The only way of getting that righteousness is getting the righteousness of someone else, of Jesus Christ himself. He says, uh, even, even for us who, are, who believe in Christ, he says, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, 
his faith is counted as righteousness. So he's saying the same way God saved and justified Abraham is the same way he justifies and saves anyone. If you are going to be saved from your sins, you must be saved the exact same way as Abraham, by faith in Christ, by God's grace, not by works. In Romans chapter 5, Paul tells us in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying the first result, so to speak, the first benefit or blessing of redemption, of justification, is that now you have, if you are in Christ, peace with God that you never had before. We go from, if you come to Christ, you go from a sinner awaiting the just judgment of God to someone who has had all of your sins forgiven and being accepted by God into his favor as his adopted child. There is no bigger change in status, so to speak, possible in the universe than that. He doesn't just not condemn you. He adopts you as his child through Christ. And and how is that possible? How is that possible? It's only possible because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the, on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God incarnate, bore the punishment and wrath of God that we deserve for our sin and rebellion against God. We just sang in one of our hymns, we sang, In my place condemned he stood. Hallelujah, what a Savior, right? We are condemned because he was. Our, God does not sweep our sins under the carpet, so to speak. He doesn't ignore them. He punishes them. He pours his wrath out on a substitute in our place, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. God punished him for the sins uh, that we deserve for our sin. That's how God, Romans 3.26 says, that is how God can be just and yet be also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God does not undo or go against his own holiness or justice to save you. He upholds it by pouring his wrath out on his son in your place on the cross. Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches us not just about justification, but about sanctification, about the work of God through Christ, through his Holy Spirit, uh, that we who are saved by God's grace in Christ are not just saved from the penalty and condemnation of our sin, but also from its power. And so we will not go on living in sin that grace may abound. We can't, because he also has made us born again and changed us. We cannot go in sin if you are a Christian. Why? Because you who believe have been born again and have been so united to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection that you have, Paul says, you have died to sin, Romans 6, 2. And you now walk in newness of life in the power of Christ's resurrection, Romans 6, 4. Well, that leads to Romans 7, the chapter right before our current text. And in Romans 7, what Paul does there is he tells us, in a sense, the limits in this life of God's work of grace in sanctification in our lives. That all true believers in Christ, though we are freed from the power and slavery uh, to sin, even though we are no longer enslaved to sin, yet in this life we all, every Christian among us, we all struggle with sin. I say this very often, but I think it needs, it, it bears repeating. If, if you are not a Christian this morning, you do not struggle with sin. You are enslaved to sin. 
You live in sin. If you're a Christian, you are no longer enslaved to sin. If you're a believer in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer live in sin. You can't. But if you're a Christian, you do struggle with sin in this life. Even Paul struggled with sin in this life as a believer. Uh, Paul testified himself in Romans seven twenty-two. He said that he delights in the law of God in his inner being. And yet he still found in verse 18, he says that in, his, in him, in his flesh, nothing good dwelled. And he says in verses 19 through 20 of Romans 7, Paul says, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then Paul sums up his point in that chapter in the last two verses of Romans 7, Romans seven twenty-four to 25. He says this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. All of that, in a nutshell, is the context, so to speak, of Paul's words in Romans 8.1. It's because of all that he says there in the first seven chapters of Romans that we who believe can be assured and should be assured that there really is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That there really is no condemnation to fear or to dread if you are in Christ by faith. That is Paul's takeaway from the first seven chapters of what he writes in the book of Romans. Now, I'd like to kind of zoom in a little bit on chapter 7 to give us the, the immediate context of what Paul says in Romans 8.1. You know, think about this. I think maybe maybe you can, can identify with this. I'm sure many of you have. I know I have at times. You know, at, very, at various times there are fears, even in the heart of a sincere believer in Christ, as if somehow there still might be some condemnation waiting. Sometimes in, your conscience bothers you for things, for your struggles with sin. Sometimes we fear, I think, some of us do, that because of those continuing struggles with remaining sin, that there might be yet condemnation for us. I think that's the immediate context of what Paul is saying in Romans 8.1. And Thomas Manton, the great English Puritan writer, sums up this connection. He says, in the former chapter, that's chapter 7, the apostle in his own person, or Paul says me, he talks about himself, the apostle shows us uh, in his own person uh, represents a believer groaning under the relics of sin or bewailing the imperfections of his sanctification. Now, because this conscience of indwelling sin may breed in us fears of condemnation, he showeth here what remedy and relief is provided for us by Jesus Christ. And he quotes verse 1, There is therefore, uh, and the rest, though in the godly there remains some sin, yet no condemnation shall be to them. Understand what he's saying? Paul is saying in chapter 7, who will free me from this body of death? Why do I do what I don't want to do and not do the things that I want to do? God has sanctified me, but look how much sin, look how much, how short I still fall, even as an apostle. And then what does he say? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation for you know unbelievers 
I think I've said before, unbelievers often deceive themselves in some way that they can save themselves by their own works in some way. That's the way of death. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's in the end it leads to death. No one can save himself or herself. Self-salvation is not possible. If we could save ourselves, then Christ died for nothing. The Lord would never have to have sent his son in the first place. But I think we as believers are often tempted to believe something similar to that. We don't, if, if you took a quiz, if I were to say, okay, I'm going to pass out a quiz this morning, one question, can you save yourself? We'd all, I hope, say no. Of course not. I know I can't save myself. We all know that we're saved by grace, that we obtain the forgiveness of our sins only by God's free grace in Jesus Christ. But I think sometimes we are tempted. We don't say the words. We don't probably think these words exactly. But I think sometimes we are tempted to think and believe that we get in by grace, but then we stay in by works. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought had that thought kind of go through your heart or through your head? I know I'm saved by grace, but I've got to hold myself in God's good graces by what I do. And if I don't, I'm going to slide through God's fingers. We don't ever say those things, but I think sometimes we are tempted to think and believe that kind of a thing. And what kind of fears would that breed in us at the times when you think like that? Is that what the gospel teaches? Does the gospel teach that you're in by grace, but you stay by works? Is that what your Bible says? It's not what my Bible says. God forbid, what a soul-crushing burden that would be. And so Paul, I think, in our text here shows us that our remaining sins and shortcomings, even the imperfections of our sanctification, which are many, even in the most eminent saints, do not place us back under a sentence of condemnation. You're saved from beginning to end by the grace of God through faith in Christ. Period. All the righteousness God will ever require or could require of you is that of Jesus Christ accounted to you by faith. No beginning small shreds of sanctification that we could possibly offer up would ever compare. There is sin even in our best works. Can you sense the joy in which Paul must have written those words at the end of Romans 7 and in Romans 8, 1, when he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's, that's Paul's triumphant gospel declaration to you if you're in Jesus Christ by faith. There is no condemnation left to fear. And in fact, not to get uh, too grammatical and nerdy on you, but the way, even the way Paul says it in the text is emphatic. You know, in the Greek text, I won't... Uh, I won't read it to you that way, but in the Greek text, very often the, the order of the words in the sentence tells you a lot. It's a way, you know, they didn't have italics or bold print and those kinds of things that we use very often today in our way of writing. They would put a certain word earlier in the sentence to emphasize it, sometimes first in the sentence, and that is the case in Romans 8.1. The first word is literally no or none. It's almost like you could put an exclamation point behind it. No condemnation, none, therefore now. There is no condemnation left for a believer to fear, for Christ has suffered condemnation in our place. So I ask this morning, are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in Christ by faith? If you are, you no longer need fear 
condemnation, even though at times you feel the weight of your remaining struggle with sin. You know, our final, our closing hymn this morning, we're going to sing, uh, And Can It Be That I Should Gain, a great hymn by Charles Wesley. And the very last verse of that hymn that we're going to sing, I won't sing it, uh, but he says, No condemnation now I dread Jesus, and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim through Christ, uh, claim the crown through Christ my own. No condemnation now I dread. Romans 8 1. And so if you're in Christ by faith, you need no longer fear or dread condemnation for your sins, even for your, your remaining struggle with sin. You have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Let that assurance that there's no condemnation for you uh, to fear be the fuel for your worship and your living a life of holiness in the fear of God. That's the only real, real motivating force there is for the Christian to live a life of godliness, is to know there's no condemnation left. That's the only real way that good works will be done is if you know that you're justified in Jesus Christ and you're not trying to do things to save yourself or to stay in God's good graces. What amazing love God has for sinners like you and me uh, that our Lord Jesus Christ should die for us and for our salvation. And as the other hymn said, in my place condemned he stood. If you're not yet in Christ by faith, then you are still in your sins. If that's the case, the Bible says you abide under the wrath of God and await his just sentence of condemnation unless you repent and turn to Christ by faith. Everybody knows John 3.16. You might have it memorized even without trying. You've probably heard it a thousand times. But John 3.17 and 18 says this, the very verses right after that great gospel summary. John 3.17 to 18 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In a sense, he's saying the condemnation is a present circumstance. It is a present judgment that consummation is waiting, but it can be, it can be avoided. It doesn't have to be. If God just wanted to condemn the world, what does John say? If God just wanted to condemn the world, he wouldn't have had to send Christ in the first place. Because outside of Christ, we all stood condemned. But he sent him into the world that the world might be saved through him. Now, we don't believe in universalism. We don't believe everybody's going to be saved because what does he say right in the text? Whoever does not believe is condemned already. So he's not saying that Jesus is going to save everybody, but when he says the world, he gives us some kind of a grasp of the scope of that salvation, of how many how many sinners will be saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already. That message of John 3.17, that whoever believes in him is not condemned, is the same thing Paul says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. That is the only way to true peace with God, to forgiveness, and to having no condemnation now to dread is by being in Jesus Christ by faith in Him. Come to Christ by faith and live. Amen. Let's, let's pray.